Hello everyone and welcome to Unorthodoxy. My name is Duncan Rayburn and following on my previous two interruptions of our Exodus series which have dealt with imagination and creativity, I thought I'd share a talk that I gave just over a week ago at my place of work at an open day, uh, which uh, we opened up um, our department to prospective students who want to apply to do the course that I teach. Um, I'm not the only teacher, there are many involved. Um, and, and I spoke to prospective students who want to apply to the course as well as to a few of their parents. As some of you know, my research at the university that I work at, the University of Pretoria, is largely in, in philosophical theology and mimetic theory. Somehow I landed up doing that sort of research. But my teaching is actually in a quite a different field, which is uh, informational communication design. And so I actually get to teach creative thinking to communication design students. So this, uh, what you're about to listen to, if you are willing to stick around, is just a little glimpse into something of that. It's also a bit of a recycling of some other stuff that I've shared on this podcast before, but the recycling does not necessarily, I hope, uh, mean a mere repetition. I've tried to shuffle some thoughts around uh, to create something slightly fresh, and I really hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening in. As always, I will return in the episode after this one to our Exodus series or to the conclusion of it, um, I think, which will take about two two episodes, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, you can listen in for that, too, uh, when you're done with this. Cheers, everyone. It's lovely to have all of you here, and I'm going to do something a little bit more unusual because I, I want to talk about creativity and creative thinking in for design, but... This is actually one of the things that I teach our students, so I'm giving you a kind of a window on creative thinking. So those of you who are going to study this will get a, a sense of what creative thinking is like, really, uh, because I think you learn it to a certain extent in school, but school is, is much more about uh, linear thinking than lateral thinking. So. Um, the other thing is is that it will give you a win uh, for parents. It will give you a window into the kind of thinking that your your kids will be exposed to and what the use of it is. Because I know that a lot of parents are worried about the point of studying something creative and whether it is in fact necessary for the world. And I think it's one of the most necessary things. But I'm going to start with something that most of you are familiar with, which is. Well, those of you who have done art at school will know this is Duchamp's The Fountain. And uh, it was made in 1917, and it is a urinal. <laughs> so that's, that's really what it is, upside down, of course. And uh, Duchamp put this in an art gallery. Uh, this was actually submitted for an exhibition by the Society of Independent Artists. And... This society was very proud of the kind of work that they were showing, uh, and it, it was open to everyone. And they were horrified, horrified when Duchamp submitted this. Firstly, it's not signed Duchamp, Marcel Duchamp, it's signed R. Matt. So he signed it with a different name. It's a ready-made, which means that it's not even something he made. And yet he put this into an art gallery. So there was outrage, but of course they had to in fact, display it. So this is actually from a photograph by Alfred Stiglitz. In fact, the response to this artwork was people were so horrified that they threw it away afterwards. So we only have the photograph of the original, but later 
Duchamp was in fact commissioned to make several copies uh, of the work. So, so if you do see this in a number of modern art galleries, I think there's one in MoMA and there's one in the Tate Modern, uh, you, you actually do see a copy of it by Duchamp. But it was, the copy was made, copies were made I think in the 1950s, so quite a long time after this. But I find it really interesting because first we had, we had people going, this is appalling. But later on, people started thinking, this is a work of genius. <laughs> in fact, in 2004, a poll of 500 art experts voted Duchamp's Fountain the most influential modern artwork of the 20th century. Oh my word, how far we have fallen. <laughs> From something like Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel to a urinal. <laughs> but what I find, it, it exposes a number of questions about creativity, and that's what I want to open up to you. Well, it was first rejected, then it was accepted, and not only was it accepted, it was deemed the most significant artwork of the 20th century. So what in the world is going on, apart from a number of people buying into a form of collective insanity? I think the thing that I want to do, which is, is just explore the meaning of this work, The Fountain. What made this shift from not art to art possible? To, from rejected to accepted possible? What, why did that, in fact, happen? Why was it garbage the one moment, literally thrown away, disposed of, and then art, some sort of high form of art, in fact, um, the next moment? Why did that happen? Before we can answer those questions, we need to ask another one, which is, what makes anything art? This is hugely debated in the art world. I, I don't know an artist who, who actually knows how to answer that question, but it actually, for me, falls within another question, which is, what makes anything what it is? That's, we're going into high levels of abstraction, but it's very helpful. Before I answer the question of what, what is art, I want to read you a beautiful quote uh, from G.K. Chesterton, who's a, an amazing writer. He says, the essence of every picture is the frame. If you draw a giraffe, you must draw him with a long neck. If in your bold, creative way you hold yourself free to draw a giraffe with a short neck, you will really find that you are not free to draw a giraffe. And the key idea here is, of course, that idea, art is limitation. The essence of every picture is the frame. I want to read you another quote because I think it, it provides a kind of illumination around the same issue, which is uh, from the uh, philosopher Slavoj Žižek. Perhaps the most succinct definition of the modernist break in art is thus that through it, the tension between the art object and the place it occupies is reflectively taken into account. What makes an object a work of art is not simply its direct material properties, but the place it occupies. It's very simple, the idea that he's trying to convey. What makes the modernist break, the, what Duchamp is doing, it's modern art, what makes it so significant is that it takes very seriously not just the artwork, but the context it occupies, the frame it in fact occupies. What makes an object a work of art is not just the picture, but the frame.
In fact, what makes anything we perceive meaningful for us is the relationship between the picture and the frame, the content and the context. What is, what is any hero story that you've ever, I mean, if, if you watch the Avengers movies, it's the picture, the hero, versus the frame, the context. That's, that's what the story is about. The frame is contracting or expanding or getting broken apart, and the picture has to respond to that. Well, that's just one example of how content and context are always related. This is how we make meaning of, of things. And I think people were disgusted by what Duchamp was doing because it called the frame into question. That was the first thing it did. But the next step, which is very interesting, is he never destroyed the frame. And so it still operated as an artwork, even though it was really a urinal. <laughs> and that's pretty, pretty amazing, I think. It, it challenges the way we think about anything, really. I think that all meaning is about the relationship between the picture and the frame. Often it is the frame that is the primary source of a thing's significance. We're so busy focusing on the content that we miss the context. For example, we think that, that it is cell phones that are significant. But what, the, well, the content on the cell phone, the messages. But what we don't realize is that it's the cell phone itself that is changing the way we think. And you know this every time you try it. I know you've done it, some of you. You try to drive while speaking on a cell phone. Your driving plummets into the grave. And, and you risk your own life by doing that because it's not the conversation that is shaping reality. It's the cell phone itself. So I find that, that worth paying attention to. It, it shifts the way that we think about things. Now, as I see it, art, which is a, a wonderful, valuable thing, it play, plays with a very limited frame. And one of the things that I love about design, and you can see so many examples of it here, um, in, even just in the job descriptions or the possible career opportunities or the media that design works with, design is always working with multiple frames. It's opening up far more possibilities than just looking at one limited frame. And I think this is part of its significance and so what part part of what design does is it seeks to understand the frame but specifically in terms of how communication can be improved if you think about the the frame you think about what is a celebrity it's an ordinary person just like you and me but they have been put into a particular frame and now they are more significant if you think about a sports event it's a bunch of people having fun. Well, getting paid a lot of money to have fun. And the frame of the stadium or of, or of the television that you're watching the game on, well, that changes the picture, changes the actual content. The crown jewels in London, if you really think about it, the crown jewels is a bunch of rocks and some shiny metal. But if, if you've ever been to, to the Tower of London to actually look at the crown jewels, it's... you you get put on a conveyor belt and sort of shuffled around this thing and you have a few seconds to look at this thing which is probably not the real thing anyway and you're in awe of it well the frame is what is actually shaping your perception of the thing a new technology well what makes it significant is that it is framed by advertising by what it can do by what why it matters that we have this new technology um, a brand is framed by design, so that's one of the things design works with. A CEO of a company, 
The CEO is framed by the fact that the office is usually slightly harder to get to. There's a secretary blocking the way. So there's something going on there that's preventing you from accessing the CEO readily, unless they're very, I don't know, hip and all that stuff. A band, if you see a live band, well, to get to the band, well, the band is elevated on, the frame is the stage, or you have to get a backstage pass to go and see the band. So there's a frame. They're more amazing than just you are. No, they're just like you. They're just as amazing as you are, or vice versa. You are as amazing as they are. So obviously, one of the things that I, I invite my students to do is to question the frame. Not, que not throw it away necessarily. Some frames are really good. Some frames are better than others. That's obvious. And part of the point of questioning it is to ask the question of how we can reframe things. How we can look at the world in a way that is new. I don't know if you've seen this, but on YouTube... There is, uh, some people have taken movies that are horror movies and they've re-edited them to be comedies. That's an, that's an expression of reframing or taking a comedy and making it into a horror. I, I know someone did that with Mrs. Doubtfire, which is a really old film. But it's, it comes, and honestly, when you watch the comedy afterwards, you think this is horrific. So, it's pretty accurate. So... This is one of, the, this one of the many creative thinking skills that we teach our students. Uh, looking at how to recreate meaning to communicate better. Uh, we need to be able to reframe things because in the world today we find, we find ourselves facing all kinds of new complex problems. And I think understanding how to address those problems is a matter of how we frame them. And I think that this is actually one of design's Primary, pro uh, primary purposes. It is there to reframe. It's there to face problems. The whole notion of innovation is not just about changing the picture, but it is also about considering and maybe even changing the frame. Often I tell my students that every major problem in the world is, among other things, a communication problem. In other words, there's a gap between people and the world or people and each other. There's some kind of a miscommunication. Conflict between people and nations, that's a constant problem. Well, it's a communication problem. It is, in fact, a design problem. One of the things that a lot of our students get into is pure communication. Sometimes there isn't even a visual outcome. It's just about helping people to communicate better. Uh, environmental problems. A lot of those problems have to do with how the issues are communicated. Problems in the market and so on. You can just think of, of hundreds of these. All communication is about framing. I want to tell you a story that I think is, is just remarkable. In 1334, and it is, it, it's not obviously a design story, but it is for me a design story. It's about how design can rethink problems, or how we can rethink problems through creative thinking. In 1334, the Duchess of Tyrol, her name was Marguerite Maltache, which means mouth bag, apparently, uh, which is unfortunate for her, but anyway, she was quite powerful. And she and her soldiers laid siege to Hochostowitz Castle. That's what it looks like. It's quite beautiful. This is in Austria, if you want to go and visit it. Uh, get someone to fund your trip. And what this meant was that the inhabitants of the castle started to run out of food. 
eventually, they in fact did start to run out of food. They were down to their last ox and their last rations of grain. So imagine you're in this situation. Things are looking bleak. You're down to your last meal. You're stuck. You're with, caught within a particular frame. But then you start to think, maybe I am framing this problem badly. Maybe there is a better way of framing it. If we frame a problem badly, we are in, going to end up misinterpreting the, the possibilities and, and even the solutions to the problem. So maybe we need to adjust the frame. And this is, in fact, what the castle commander, in fact, did. The, the original frame was this. This is what we're seeing. We're faced with this problem. This is our issue. But the castle commander thought, what happens if we make the frame, change the frame from being our frame to the frame of Marguerite Mouthbag? What happens if we look at what her frame is? What is she seeing? What if we could communicate something differently to her? So the castle commander came up with an idea, and I want to state it in its absurdest form possible. Here it is. Throwing the last meal away will ensure that we do not go hungry. <laughs> this is, in fact, what they did. They took the last ox, they killed it, which is important to note for the next step. They stuffed it with the remaining grain, and they threw it over the wall into Marguerite Mouthbag's camp. So this is what she sees. Now, she also has a limited frame, just like we all do. And she looked at the, the ox and thought, they have enough food that they can throw it away. We are going to starve sooner than the people inside the castle. Let's go. And that's exactly what did. So what's amazing is that last bull thrown into Marguerite Mouthbag's camp changed her frame. Her frame was, we're in charge, we're in control, they're, they're under siege. But it's a big castle, so maybe there is a lot of stuff inside it, bulls and grain and, and all sorts. And it got her to rethink her frame and change course. Well, that is what communication can do. It can change the course that people are on. And it's all kinds of course, uh, courses that, that can be changed. Design doesn't deal with one subject matter. It deals with any subject matter that is relevant. That may be a, an issue in business. It may be a social issue. A lot of what we do is, is something named design activism, which is looking at ways that design can function practically in the world to help people. And, and I think this is, is so powerful. Design, as we teach it, is all about fostering and nurturing that most vital and important of gifts, which is imagination. Imagination is the capacity to see what might yet be. It's not unrealistic. In fact, it is the most realistic thing. Uh, imagination is, is the organ of meaning, you could say. And why do we need imagination? Well, I think there's something else that Chesterton says that is very helpful. The prime function of imagination is to see our whole orderly system of life as a pile of stratified, meaning layered, revolutions. The function of imagination is not to make strange things settled, so much as to make settled things strange. Not so, not so much to make wonders facts, 
as to make facts wonders. What changing the frame is about is about seeing that we have gotten into a kind of stale perception. We see things as we expect to see things. And in the process of seeing things only as we expect to see them, we forget that other possibilities are open to us. And so that's, that's one of the, the, the primary functions of teaching creative thinking, is to renew the world, to see what is available, the real, and to renew it in a way that, in fact, helps people. I have a few examples of just imaginative visual communication. This is the sort of thing that our students do as well. It's one way to look, for instance, at an iPad, and you look at it as a tool. But how many people these days are using it is as a form of life support. It's something that kind of filters into our being intravenously. Another way to see the, all the likes and hearts and stars that you get on social media when, is, is to see them as little mini hugs. And that's how it actually functions. It, it, it sort of uh, lights up the dop dopaminergic system in the brain. One way to see a lecture, like the one I'm giving you, is just as a lecture. Another one is as transmission. And so the image actually highlights an, an aspect of the communication that you didn't see before. I love this image. Guy juggling in the front and broken plates on the stairs behind him. The audience does not see the broken plates. And that is how excellence always functions. Excellence is not defined by the end product. It's defined by the process that people are willing to put themselves through. Say, going through an information design degree to get to a good out outcome. I love this image. Uh, guy painting a... a <laughs> just painting green onto a thing that's producing pollution. Well, that's exactly what we've done. We've learned to greenwash instead of deal with the problem of, of environmental degradation. This is also quite nice, uh, also on the environmental front, that there's this idea that the factory produces a tsunami. I mean, this links to, to what happened in Japan's recent hit history, and which is a global problem as well. I like the fact that there's, there's a little bit of a aha moment. That is what creative people experience all the time. They look at things and go, Aha, I never thought of it like that. that. That being a soldier is being a little bit like a disposable match. Lit up for a moment and then dis discarded. It's emotive without being totally manipulative. So that's uh, just a, a small window into what creativity is about. It's about transforming something into a, into a useful frame that we can actually shape the world with. Thank you very much, everyone.